This podcast was proudly produced by NZ Audio Editors. For all your editing services, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.nzaudioeditors.com. Ryan J. Melson and Greg Mole from One Plan for Retirement would like to welcome you to the NZ Guide to Financial Freedom. In this podcast, we'll break down the psychological tools and financial framework you need to live the life you want to ensure you don't run out of money before you run out of life. Well, Greg, we've got um, we've got a love affair. It's not oh, you and I. I'm it's all romance. It is romance. But it's a romance between New Zealanders and money. What, what romance do you think I might be talking about there, Greg? Well, it might be, I think, the romance <laughs> that uh, people in retirement mm. have with money in the bank. Yes. The term deposits. You know, traditionally, many New Zealanders, as they enter in retirement, funding their lifestyle from the money they've got invested because they're no longer working in paid employment. They've had money in term deposits, mm. and that's provided the income because they perceive that safe. Uh, the return is um, paid out on a quarterly or six-monthly basis, and um, at the end of the day, if they want their money, they've always been able to get it at the end of the term deposit period. Mm. True. That is the love affair I was mentioning, Greg. Well was done. It? Was I wasn't it? sure when they were stuffing or you're continuing. I got to stay focused. It, it, it's interesting, though, if you look back over time, how things have worked in that area. So I look at a term deposit as a as effectively a risk free investment. Mm. In real return parlance, you would say that you'd expect to get a a return after tax, after fees, and after inflation of plus or minus zero percent. Mm. A little bit over zero or a little bit under, depending on what's happening, because it's risk-free, effectively. It's not totally risk-free because banks could fail, but the banks in this part of the world are fairly heavily regulated, and whilst they're not government-guaranteed, the only time we ever saw a bank look like it was going to fail was the the BNZ, Mm. and the government of the day stepped in to bolster it up. Because it's all about confidence in the financial system. So it'd be very hard to see a government allow the bank to fail. And of course, our four major banks are all actually Australian banks. Yeah. So it's even harder to see that the Australian government, which is for, you know, financially a lot more robust than the New Zealand economy, we're a, a village, yeah. whereas they would be a city in the global environment. So... It was interesting then in that period before the global financial crisis 2008-2009 that people who were receiving 7% in the bank on term deposit didn't think it was good enough. So they went to the finance companies to get 9 or 9.5% without fully understanding the risk of what they were doing, thinking again that because it was interest-bearing that and it was run through a financial institution that had all the looks of being stable, capital Lombard 
Uh, merchant finance had these pillars like Greek or Roman columns. So it looked really solid. But it was just a house of cards. Yeah. And people lost 100% of their money. Do you and think they, they could have stopped themselves? Do you like what, well, realizing? Well, if they'd gotten decent advice, they might have thought about what the risk return trade off was. You know, you, the big difference between a bank and a finance company, if a bank's giving you 7%, um, well, it's not guaranteed. You know, you're looking at the banking system and who stands behind it to trade that for an extra 2%, 9% with the finance company where there's no one standing behind it. Mm. Uh, it's a perception. It was a house of cards. Okay. But that was greed that got people. And if they got decent advice, they avoided that. But, you know, I could see, you know, if you think about it, if you had a million dollars invested and you're getting 7%, $70,000 a year, even after tax, that would give you a pretty reasonable standard of living. You'd have in excess of $50,000 a year to spend on your lifestyle. So there you are, you're trucking along, you've got 50000 coming in after tax, plus New Zealand super, you're living the, you know, you're living the dream. Mm. You know? Overseas travel, you know, quality holidays, doing things, helping out the kids, you know, all sorts of stuff, buy all the toys, fantastic. But, you know, probably no one realised it was a bit of a balloon. Now, that, people weren't speculating, yeah, putting money on term deposits, getting 7%, but it was a balloon because some prick came along with a pin mm. and suddenly over the period of time, so we're now talking over 12 years, it's gone from 7% to... 0.7 mm. of 1%. Great. So that same couple, individual, whatever, that you was getting 70000 before tax, 50000 after tax, is now with their million dollars, because it won't have gone up in value. It's the same million dollars that was there in 2008 mm, that's there in 2020, 21. Uh, it doesn't buy as much. It's lost purchasing power, which is why we talk about the importance of real returns. In theory, it's you know inflation over that period would have been two percent plus or minus, but actually the diminution in value of the money has been a lot more than two percent mm. because what a million dollars could have bought you in two thousand eight compared to a million dollars today particularly in the housing market, yeah. is the difference between chalk and cheese. Massively, yeah. Massive difference over 12 years. I mean, if you use the rule of 72 and divide 72 by the 12 years, that means that there's been a loss of value each year of 6%, mm. which is quite huge, eh, when yeah. you think about it. You know, yeah. The loss in purchasing power of leaving the money in the bank over that period of time mm. has been 6% in terms of what the million dollars will buy you. But you know what the more serious thing is? That you've actually got the lifestyle that you were relying on the 50,000 plus New Zealand super. Yeah. I mean, that's right. what were we doing? We were living the dream. Mm. What yeah, happens today, uh, that million dollars still there gives you 7,000.7 of 1%. 7000 before tax. <laughs> uh, the good news is you won't be paying much tax. Yeah. So you might only be paying you know, 
20% of that away. Mm. So it's now gone from, you know, it's 5,500 yeah, yeah. after tax. So you've got 5,500 after tax income plus New Zealand super, which has gone up a bit over that time. Uh, that'll give you, you know, in excess of 30000 as a couple. Now you've got $36,000, $3,000 a month. Perfect. To fund a lifestyle that used to cost, um, well, probably seventy thousand. Mm. Seventy thousand. So suddenly you've got half the money that you used to have to fund the lifestyle you got used to. Not of course, pretty. that lifestyle has gone up in costs. Yeah. Because what used to cost seventy two thousand now probably costs a hundred thousand. It's like, well, this is going very badly. No. My yeah, no, expenses good. are going up to maintain my lifestyle. My money's staying My the same. cash flow, my income has gone down. What do I do? Mm. Well, the first thing you've got to do is go and get some good advice. And the good advice back 12 years ago was not to leave all the money in turn deposits, <laughs> but to have a diversified portfolio reflecting your risk profile um, around a financial plan that would look at how much money you needed to fund your lifestyle, where it was going to come from, and a plan to ensure that you didn't run out of money before you ran out of life. Because the difficulty for people who have had money in term deposits is they're kind of mentally, um, how would I say, conditioned not to spend capital. Yeah. And that's a mistake. You know, at the end of the day, there's two things that matter. One is that you can maintain the lifestyle you want. And when you and I are talking to people, I never get judgmental as to whether or not you need 50000 or 100000 to fund your lifestyle. It is what it is. What I want to know is where's that money going to come from and you want to ensure that people can spend that sort of money and as long as they need to, and they're not going to run into the risk of running out of money before they run out of life. Mm. You always need a plan B, of course, because what I've noticed in 30-odd years in this business is that people live longer than they expect, that's a good thing, and they spend more than they anticipate, mm. which is actually a good thing too, because you know, I don't think life's a rehearsal. No, I think you, you, know, you come this way but once, uh, and if you come twice, you probably come back as something like a sparrow or a cockroach or something like that. So I don't know who <laughs> you come give back as. Yeah. So that's not much good anyway. So you might as well enjoy this uh, <laughs> period while you're here. The mm. And how are you going to do that? That's where the plan is there. That's where the relationship you have with your advisor. We've spoken in the past about paying fees. You know, you get what you pay for. If you don't pay any fees and you don't get any advice, you're probably the person that left you money on term deposits and now you're in the pop. Yeah. And who's to blame? Well, I know you won't blame yourself because we never do, <laughs> but you are totally to blame. Yeah. You know, and if you're the one in the family making the investment decisions, you've let yourself and your partner down. Uh Men are often the ones who make these decisions and they're the ones who sometimes can't see the consequences of them because they're not paying the bills. The women are. Women can see the cost of living going up as they do the shopping and the other bits and pieces. Uh, but that's why 
you know, you need to go through as you're heading up to retirement when your income stops. Because if you have an income for life, none of this matters. If we live in a utopia that everyone gets the money they want mm. for life, that'll be fun, eh? Yeah, perfect. Um, you know, oh, no, I don't want a million dollars a year. I'm quite happy with, you know, 100,000. Yeah. Go figure. No, everyone will want the top figure. Yeah. But if we live in a utopia that you get paid enough money to maintain your lifestyle, um, then why do you need to invest? You just spend to what live. Earning, yeah. yeah. Spend to live. No Can- problem at all. But that's not the real world. The real world is that voluntary or involuntary, you will cease paid employment. If it's involuntary, that's the DCM. Don't come Monday. Mm. Frightening. You, know, you mentioned getting made redundant in your 50s and you can't find another job, mm. and you've still got kids and debts, dependents and debts, a lifestyle that's you know up there in the stratosphere yeah. because you had the money, and suddenly you haven't. Mm. What do you do? That's that movie with Jim Carrey. Do you remember that thing? And I think he and his wife became bank robbers. Oh, do they? Are. Just to try and fund their lifestyle. Yeah, that's a short-term career. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, you're going to get caught. Mm. Uh, then your living costs are all fully funded. You don't need to worry. Yeah, yeah. Life Prison. in jail. Yeah. But that's not where people want to go. And you don't want to be in a situation where suddenly, you know, it, you turn a corner and you're now in a blind alley and you've got nowhere to go. Yeah. If you go and get proper advice, go through a process, if there's a problem, at least you've got a chance to see it coming and make some decisions. And most people have that ability. It's just whether or not they're prepared to take the advice. And it's a bit like dieting, eh? Mm, We know what we should do. but We know what we should do. It's called eat less, exercise more, or eat the right type of food. Um but it takes a level of disciplining and commitment and sometimes the other C word, coaching. Mm. You, know, you need a coach. You know, you know, just like if you want to do well in the gym uh, and meet a particular target, you can manage your own exercise program, but you'll do a lot better if you get a personal trainer to set the program for you and, and to basically you know, mentor you and keep you on track. It's the same in respect to financial planning. Mm. Very few people are able to fund a successful retirement unless they get good advice. Some people get lucky. I understand that. Um, Some people, of course, will just cut their cloth to suit. So, yes, I was getting 70,000, now I'm getting seven. Uh, I'll somehow manage. Mm. I just won't eat on Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. You know, good luck. Mm. I just won't do anything. Yeah, that's great. You know, have a miserable lifestyle to enrich your children because if you're sitting in a home, the home's going up in value. Yeah. But you've just got no cash flow. Mm. Uh, so you're not getting the benefit of that. Your children or grandchildren will be. But if you had a plan and a planner working alongside you, that could, that could, that could work. A, a, a prime example of this would be, uh, where I live in, in Auckland, uh, an elderly neighbour died. This lady's been on this property oh, longer than the 30 years that I'd lived alongside her. Um, mother and daughter, I thought they were sisters. 
the mother died. That's when I realised the other one was the daughter. <laughs> spent no money on this property. Uh, spent no money on themselves. The property was just going backwards. You know, every noxious weed in Auckland uh, had made its home on this property. The uh, the how the trees were growing next to the house. It was an old villa, uh, which was getting older, and of course the trees were causing moisture to get into the property that was rotting. Uh, she's since died. The, the property is a it's a disaster, but it's worth millions of dollars because of the location. And I look at this and just say, you know, it, it, it's an absurdity that this woman lived effectively in poverty mm. uh, all her adult life uh, to leave behind uh, a run-down property, which is a redevelopment, uh, to relatives so they can enjoy the lifestyle yeah. that she forego. Yeah, sad. I mean, it's just bizarre. You know, so she was asset rich, cash flow poor, mm. had no lifestyle. Maybe she was happy with that. And I suspect she probably was because I think if she wasn't nuts to start with, she was pretty much nuts by the end uh, because, you know, she didn't get good advice. She possibly wouldn't have taken it. But if she could see the wood for the trees, she would have said, I'll sell this property, you know, free up money, get something that's fit for purpose that I can enjoy. Uh, she certainly didn't enjoy gardening, but she hadn't done any. <laughs> she didn't enjoy property maintenance, but she certainly didn't do that. She could have gone into a maintenance-free brand-new property, had, you know, money sensibly invested, and lived the life. And, and lived the lifestyle. And and I contrast that with a, a client of mine, a lady that never married, um, sort of didn't have a lot of resources available, uh, was living with older brothers in the family home in, in Ponsonby. And it was an older property, you know, reasonably well-maintained, but an older property. Uh, this lady worked in a clerical sort of role. I think she worked for the post office, so she had an income, but a modest income. Um, never had a relationship that I was aware of. Couldn't drive a car, never looked to drive. Totally controlled by her brothers. And they did a favour to her and died before her. Um, when they died, the, the assets came to her, so she had not only the property, but a pool of money through some investments I'd made, shares or whatever, uh, at the time I can't remember, she was directed to me, we put together a plan for her and, you know, off she went. It was, you know, party time. Still stayed in the house, uh, didn't drive, but wasn't frightened to use some of the money to go and get a taxi to pick her up and take her up to the ATM machine in Ponsonby Road. Uh, to get some money, wasn't frightened to get delivery people, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, to drop stuff off. Uh, she'd get a taxi to go to some of her, uh, she was involved in, in women's federation type um, events and she'd go along to those. But the bit that really, you know, gave me a bit of a joy was she went off and did the things she always wanted to do, which was cruising. 
mm. travelling. And she'd go on a cruise, she'd get a decent cabin, she'd get some nice dresses, uh, she'd doll herself up, and there were these photos of her at the captain's table, <laughs> having, you know, having the life, you know, living the dream. And I thought that was fantastic. I was sad that it came to her late in life, but she didn't let the opportunity go. Uh, she had a very good lawyer and very good accountant. They were the ones who introduced me to their, to this lady and the three of us working together ensured that she was able to maintain the lifestyle of her choice until she was no longer with us. Mm. And, and she was protected all the way along. And at the end of the day, the money went to the nieces. Yeah. Which is fine. You know, that's the word. But, you know, she had the enjoyment along the time, as opposed to my neighbour, had no lifestyle. Mm. You know, she did have lawyers, but they clearly didn't give her advice that sort of worked for her. They did all the legal stuff, I'm sure, and I don't know if she had an accountant. But, you know, she didn't have someone like you and I to say, what is it that you really want? Mm. You know, what do you want to do? And surely it's not just money vegetate. Yeah. In a house that's going backwards. Sad. It's no lifestyle. We can quite often be just uh, spending advisors at times going first class, but before you go on that rant, I, I wanted to talk about the, the turn deposits and how the money system works because people aren't too clued up on that, but yeah. for, by all means, contribute. Well, yeah. We've seen where interest rates have gone, they just continue to go down. Yeah. As more and more money is pulled in the banks, because people are concerned about where to put my money. And they, and they should be, because the banks are safe places to invest. But what do the banks do with your money? Well, they have to keep a certain amount in reserve because the Reserve Bank is always looking at banks' liquidity because, you know, they're concerned about what happens if all the people want their money out. Uh, the money's not sitting in the vaults. A run on the bank would be disastrous. Mm. Uh, it's all about confidence in the system. But what the banks do is they get your money as a term depositor and lend it out. Who do they lend it to? Well, they lend it to people wanting a mortgage. So at the moment, what are they getting on that? You know, I see there were some one-year mortgages at 2.29%. You know, you know, why were they never there when I was young? You know, you know, interest rates back then were, you know, 13 up to 21 and then back to 11. Uh, young people today are able to borrow money at rates that their parents never saw. Mm. They'd have to go back to their grandparents, possibly, in the old state advances loans of 3%. Uh, the other thing, of course, is that even if interest rates uh, were whatever, you couldn't borrow money anyway. Mm. I remember the problems I had to go through in the 70s to buy uh, a home, buy a, borrow money to buy a property, and I had a, a professional degree. I was an accountant. Uh, thank goodness I was a male, not a female, because these people, you know, back in those days, you know, were terrible. Mm. You know, they, 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 you know, for a younger woman to borrow money was not impossible, just outrageous. You know, the whole banking system now is much better. It's, you know, it's not, um, you know, it doesn't discriminate on the basis of gender or race. And but it might do on occupation. I mean, what they're looking at is your ability to service and repay the loan. It gets a bit messy at the moment because the government keeps interfering with, you know, loan 
value ratios, yeah. the LVRs and this, that, and the other thing. Um, and I'm sure they're trying to do the right thing, but I think encouraging young people to be able to buy their first home is a fantastic thing because it protects our way of life. If people have got some stake in the game, some uh, some sort of uh, uh, commitment, they'll do a lot better, and so will the rest of us. But, so the banks lend the money out. So you can see what they're getting on mortgages. They'll lend money out to businesses. They'll get a slightly higher return. Uh, the best return they're getting is on credit cards, and that needs to be regulated because the banks are, are gouging. Yeah. And that probably hits generally the people who can afford to pay it the least. You know, the people living on pay to pay yeah, you know, stacks, credit huh? cards as a way of funding their lifestyle. It's a very expensive way of doing it. So that's where the banks get their income from. And, you know, when they're awash with money, um, of course, you're in a situation where they can't actually lend it on to the people that they're prepared to lend it to uh, within their risk parameters because they can't afford to speculate. Yeah. So they lose money, you know, second mortgages, third mortgages, um, business loans or whatever. If their bad debts rise, they'll cause other problems for them. It's a, it's it's a, a balance. It, it's a fine balancing act because if the vesting public, the ones who put the money in the bank, lose confidence in the banking system, yeah. And there's a run on the bank. It, it all goes bad. It, it becomes like a house of cards, eh? Because the banks can't call up that mortgage. They can't call up that term loan. Yeah. They call, you know, they, they, you know, they're going to be in a problem. Ah, oh, not, not, not pretty. And you also mentioned the Reserve Bank. And, um, what, what, so there's been buzzwords like OCR or quantitative easing. Like what, what does the Reserve Bank do and why are they dropping the OCR and what is all this? Well, the Reserve Bank is is like an arm of government in a way. They're separate from the government of the day, but they're part of the system, and they're regulating our banking arrangements. So the official cash rate is just where the banks are trying to – sorry, the Reserve Bank is trying to set a a standard there whereby it's giving an indication of where it sees the economy going. So if they want to um, inject some activity into the economy, they'll lower the official cash rate, which then goes through the banking system and may or may not end up uh, with the the borrower in the short term, but it will in the medium to long term. Uh, That's one of the reasons why mortgage rates come come down. Yeah. It's... really giving a hint to expectations of what depositors should get for money if they deposit at the bank. If they want to stop the economy you know, getting ahead too quickly, if you like, they're worried about inflation pressures, they can raise the official cash road and that will uh, slow the economy down. That's the principle behind it. So dropping it injects some energy into the economy, lowering it, uh, increasing it will slow the economy. It's just a tool. Right? It, it's what they call a monetary tool as opposed to 
you know, the government of the day changing the tax rates, which is, you know, really uh, something else. That's another way of dealing with, you know, we're trying to get people to, you know, stimulate the activity or we're trying to get them to, you know, haul things in, slow down a little bit. And why is it important to slow the economy down? Well, because inflation pressures uh, can be a problem. I mean, if you want to know the, the, you know, look at an extreme example of the Weimar Republic in Germany post-World War One, where basically to take um, wheelbarrows of money to go to buy your groceries. Yeah. You know, people had lost confidence in the currency and the banking system and you had what they call hyperinflation. Mm. So, you know... No inflation is bad. Too much inflation is bad. It's where's the happy medium. So I think the Reserve Bank targets about two percent. Yeah, in between one and two. So effectively, they're trying to regulate that. But that inflation target's a bit of a moving feast as well. But if it's based on the compute consumer price index, the CPI, that's the average basket of goods. But I can tell you, Ryan, that you know you're at an age where your basket of goods is different from mine. Yeah, don't even drink milk. Well, there you go. There you go. Probably yeah, soy or almond. soy. Yeah, so it's oh, probably yeah. included. See, it's people like Ryan. They're undermining our economy. Because <laughs> last time I looked, dairy cows don't produce soy or almond milk. Depends how you shake them. Yeah. Um, so we, we should probably get the SIS to and have a chat to you. You know, the special <laughs> secret service. People, you should see an undermining the economy. I, I, I support our economy. I eat meat and and oh, dairy, and you know, someone has to do it. Or you can deal with the the well, end result of a, yeah. uh, irritable bowel syndrome. I, so I don't understand why I'm not losing weight. The, yeah, oh, no idea. But yeah, the and then the economy trying to get that balance is important because it also reflects on the world's perception of our economy. And that's reflected in our currency. So you think of the New Zealand dollar uh, drops relative to other currencies. That means the price of goods and services from overseas increase. Yeah, That's more expensive to New Zealanders. And that, in fact, can be inflationary. Mm. If the New Zealand dollar goes up, that means you know we're getting more return when we sell our goods and services. Hmm. Overseas, uh, if it goes up too much, we become too expensive, and therefore get substituted. So that's that fine balancing act, right? It's the flow, uh, inflows and outflows of uh, capital from overseas. So the Reserve Bank is juggling all these balls to hmm. come and ensure that the economy is ticking along, that we're growing. So we've got a positive. Gross national product, GPM. Yeah, so that, you know, just like an investment portfolio. Yeah. You don't want to get 20% one month and minus 20% the next no. month. But if you're getting that steady, you know, 3 to 4 to 5% net return after tax, you're, you're doing okay. And why why do you why would it continue to grow? Like my mum's a bit of an Armageddon lady, so she's got a community where she'll live off the land if something goes wrong. Why, how do we know that it's just going to keep growing over the long term, Greg? Well, um, you know, 
because it always has. <laughs> Is that the answer? <laughs> I, I think um, you know your mum might be better off in America, living in the in the hills, supporting Trump. <laughs> and thinking that have the world's going to come to an end with mm. Armageddon. She doesn't have guns, so it won't be good if it's a zombie apocalypse. Oh, okay, fair enough, no guns. <laughs> I suppose that's always the, the issue, isn't it? I mean, you if you take that Armageddon approach and say, well, look, COVID's going to get us all. Mm. You know, it's all doom, gloom, you know, you know, put a start sort of finding my own water source, my own power source, <laughs> and... Uh, having hens in my backyard and a good garden, mm. I don't know anyone like that. The, I suppose it's that balance, isn't it? You know, the, the the good life versus um, any life. <laughs> I I think at the end of the day, if you're that fatalistic, Ryan, you'd you'd have real problems and you'd be opting out, and um, your the that reality would be your reality. Mm. But I think if you understand the nature of the human condition, uh, we always want more for our children than we wanted for ourselves, as did our parents, uh, the the um, changes in technology um, mean that actually the standard of living for most people improve, even though we keep getting assailed on the TV about how many New Zealanders are living in poverty yeah. and this, this, that and the other thing, and I just think that's, you know, that, that, that's propaganda. Because you go back 50 years, the standard of living for New Zealanders today is much higher than it was 50 years ago. The standard Amazing. of housing. I find it amusing that the government's talking about, oh, we've got all these houses that aren't fit for purpose. Well, well that means they haven't been fit for purpose for 100 years. Yeah. You, know, you know, not insulated, not this, not that, not the other thing. We're building much better houses today than we ever did 50 years ago. Um, a few design faults. You know, went through a bit of a leaky home type mm. thing. Uh, that's what happens when you let people out of the out of the asylum. They start designing houses that aren't fit for purpose. But you know, you think that you know, if young people buying a house today you know, expect to get an ensuite and a modern kitchen and a modern bathroom. Oh, I'll tell you what, I didn't expect that when I bought my first house in the seventies. Yeah, that's changed. And uh, and. You know, so the quality of housing's improved, the quality of lifestyle's improved, access to travel, access to technology. There's going to be some changes because the travel industry's going to change, isn't it? Yeah. People used to think it was like catching a bus. Mm. You know, you just, oh, I want to go to Australia on the weekend, I'll just go and buy a ticket today and I'll be going tomorrow. That's not happening. Yeah, for how long? So there's some changes there. But I think that um, you know, there'll be this kind of continuous improvement in the standard of living uh, for people over time, and I think that's a good thing. And uh, hopefully, that people you know buy into that and, and make the most of it. But you know, there are lots of issues that are going on in our society that. You and I are not going to solve on a podcast like this. Aren't you? Oh, but we get the kudos of telling everyone we're trying to. Well, we're trying to. Trying to. I, I think that would be a, a discussion for another day. We might sort of upset people. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're trying harder than me. I think it nah, it'll come. Um, thank you, Greg. And uh, I think when they Money and You was a survey um, that they did, I think the Financial Services Council, and they found – um, where people were lacking in their understanding was around inflation and understanding those concepts and 
And it was quite surprising how many actually failed the exam. So even though we're not making a difference in those areas, I think people listening are... Well, there's the old analogy about the starfish, isn't it? You know, you come across a beach covered in starfish and, uh, you know, you pick one up and throw it out to sea. You probably can't save all the starfish, but you can save the ones that you can save. Mm. And uh, in our business, we're trying to help people who come and talk to us and lay the problem on the table. And the problem is probably about how am I going to maintain the lifestyle I want without running out of money before I run out of life? Uh, you look at what resources they've got, both you know, lifestyle and financial investment resources, and you try and come up with a solution that's appropriate for them. And everyone is different. The And what the people who get that advice and accept it get is a level of peace of mind and assurance that you know they're going to be able to do the things they want to do when they want to do them. I think that's incredibly valuable when we talk about fees and what's that worth. I mean, how do you put a value on peace of mind? Yeah. On you know having a lifestyle where you've done everything you wanted to do and you haven't run out of money. You've helped the people that you wanted to help. Um, I think that's an essential service. I think that's a value that you and I and people who work in our area can give to clients. It's not about trying to get the best return to you know look into a crystal ball and say, oh, yes, this is what's going to happen and let's get it right, because no one can do that. It is understanding how the different types of investment work, shares, property, bonds, cash. And remember, term deposits are somewhere between a cash and a bond, really, because it's an interest-bearing security for a period of time mm. that have pros and cons, but really should be part of a package rather than the end in itself. The problem I've seen in the past is it's the end in itself. I'm fixed dated, everything's in term deposit. I'm diversified because I've got 10 of them. <laughs> and I'm going, yeah, that's fine. Uh, is your money safe? Yeah, it's safe. Uh, is the purchasing power of my money safe? No, it's not. Mm. For the reasons we've talked about, low risk, low return. And more importantly, is it actually providing something that's fit for the purpose? And if it's not allowing you to maintain your lifestyle, that's not. it's not. And of course, what we didn't think talk about is many people won't change, won't eat their capital because they've fixated and leaving it for their children or grandchildren, mm. which which is understandable, but somewhat sad and a little bit deluded. Because you're flying economy class, so children can fly business class, mm. and that doesn't make a lot of sense. No. And it's sad. I mean, no pockets and shrouds. No, no pockets and shrouds. I and, like that. <laughs> yeah, and on that note, th- thanks to everyone. What's a shroud? I have no idea. I learned that from someone much older than me. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. but they every time I say it, they like it, so I've yeah, got pockets good. and shrouds. No pockets and shrouds. Um, <laughs> so to make sure you, you have big pockets before you go to the shrouds, I don't know, if, yeah. <laughs> does that work? Yeah, make sure you don't run out of money before you run yeah, out of Yeah, right, we'll go with that. And enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey of sending. It's a one-way trip. It is a one-way trip, and there's no um, rehearsals unless no, you want to be no a cockroach or a sparrow. Life's not a rehearsal. And I was listening. So uh, if anyone wants to rehearsal, a good question at ryan at oneplan.co.nz, O-N-E, 
P-L-A-N.co.nz. Love to hear them. And uh, also, thank you to nzaudioeditors.com to making sure that our podcast is listenable. So if anyone wants to have one of the highest uh, quality podcasts in New Zealand, arguably, Radio NZ, uh, I think, has slightly worse audio, but that's a story for another day. Thanks, guys.